All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Strike the box webcast number three. Thirsty Thursday is what we're uh, we're going to name these from here on out. Uh, so we hope you guys have a beverage in hand, um, gentlemen. Thank cheers! You. It's good to cheers. see y'all. Cheers, boy. Um, cheers. And tonight uh, we're going to go around the room again, again uh, talking all things RIT. So uh, RIT and May Day. So again, my name is Ben Waples, uh, captain with Salisbury Fire Department, in Salisbury, Maryland. Uh, we'll kick it over, over. That that way uh, to Trevor. Hey, good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us uh, again for uh, Thirsty Thursday. So you join us with your beverage of choice. So we appreciate that. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about all things RIT. And we have our special guest with us, Mike Wood from Baltimore City. Um, just by way of introduction for me, I work with uh, the other two clowns that are in the other boxes. feel like Hollywood Squares. Now we're looking at each other on a game show. But um, worked with those guys in Ocean City for quite a while before I retired, and uh, took a job down here in South Florida. So uh, still on the job. This past week, I actually uh, celebrated my 33rd year in the fire service. So feeling a little old and decrepit, but still loving it. Best job in the world. So uh, looking forward to a good webcast tonight. So uh, Bobby, with that, I'll kick it over to you. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks, Mike, for coming on with us, man. We appreciate it. So. Uh... I had the pleasure of working with Mike. Mike's been helping us train down in Ocean City. I'm a lieutenant in Ocean City Fire Department. I got about 32 years in the fire service, uh, 20 years in Ocean City Fire Department, and take care of a lot of their fire training for them and things like that. And I had the pleasure of working with Mike and found out that Mike was working on this uh, RIT program for Baltimore City, um, which is really, he's got some really, really good information. Some things we kind of knew about, how effective is a, actually having a RIT uh, group outside uh, versus what happens inside the building. So we'll be able to get into all that. But uh, I'm really excited to talk about it. So, uh, Mike, if you want to introduce or introduce yourself, that'd be great, brother. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm Michael Wood, and uh, thank you to to all three of you, Ben, uh, Trevor, and Bobby. And and uh, I've been up in uh, Baltimore City now for, uh, for just over 15 years, and I've uh, been with the same truck company for for, for that time. Uh, been privy. Uh, a lot of, a lot of really experiences, and also uh, to help revamp some truck operations, and um, and some training manual addition, and also uh, working on a redevelopment of the RIT up there to uh, try to bring it into uh, to modern times, so to speak. So um, again, I appreciate you guys having me on, and I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, thanks, guys. Um, so let's get this thing started um, and let's talk about, you know, some of the, you know, what, what got you to looking at all things writ and Mayday and, um, you know, some of the statistics and stuff that you found. Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of spin off from there and um, come into the new stuff and, and where we where the research is saying that we should go with stuff. Yeah, excellent. Um, well, I'll tell you, and this is actually great timing for uh, for this uh, for this webcast because uh, fires are on the rise, and they've been on the rise, uh, especially in in my jurisdiction, um, since uh, our our pandemic uh, throughout the country. And a reason for that, uh, or multiple reasons for that, uh, are obvious. Of course, there are more people home every day, and because of that, we have more accidents and incidents that are occurring. And that's causing our dwelling fires to to go up and, and increase. Uh, another thing that I think we're going to start seeing, and I, uh, of course, I shouldn't say think, we've already started seeing it in certain areas, 
is your small businesses, your mom and pop businesses. Um, uh, and we've seen this in the past, of course, but uh, they are uh, having some issues and you're going to start seeing some some fires uh, as far as, as part of insurance collection. And um, and of course, you know, going bankrupt, um, it, it, you know, it's not something we like to talk about, but it is a reality. And so uh, we need to start preparing for these things and making sure that we're taking care of the guys that are going to be going in there and um, and and trying to put these uh, mitigate these situations. So it, it is a very relevant time in our country to, to talk about this. Um, now, the fine points of it, of course, are the obvious things that uh, that have been occurring. Um, and uh, there's a couple of them. One is uh, experiences on a decline. And that's because throughout the country with modern construction and, and building codes, we're seeing a decrease in, in fires. They, they are not uh, occurring in, in the number that they used to. Uh, because of that, uh, we are seeing a decline in experience. Um, and and we, we have a lot of practice players, which we all know that you can practice and practice and practice. And it's definitely something that you should be doing. But there is nothing quite like the game and, um, and the big dance. So because we have a lot less jobs that, that guys are going to, it's, uh, it's going to start reflecting. And, and you'll see it on the fire grounds within experience. Um, Another one that's kind of a, a double-edged sword is our equipment is getting better. Uh, our turnout gear is getting better. Our tools are getting better. Um, we love that. That is a great thing. But it also uh, can yield some, uh, some consequences. And that is because guys start to become more reliant on their gear and their tools versus up here and their skill set. So we're allowed to go deeper into the fires. Our equipment allows that, you know, our turnout gear. And, um, and we, we uh, again, we put, that, uh, we put that reliance on the tools we're carrying because they're always getting better. Our shawls are getting better. Our lights are getting brighter. Um, and, and so on down the line, uh, you know, our personal equipment seems to be getting better and better. Uh, you know, you, you have all these Leatherman style tools that guys can carry that can do that are multifaceted. So we put a lot of confidence in these things. And uh, because of that, we seem to start to pull away from sharpening the most important tool, which is the man or woman. Um, so, uh, so, you know, that's also something that, that plays into it. Uh, and lastly is uh, modern building construction. And all of you, you know, we all have seen this is that uh, we're building things for quantity, not quality. So your time to operate inside of dwelling fires, building fires is um, is decreasing. And because of that, our tactics also have to be modified. And a lot of times that's not happening because of all the things that we just talked about prior. So, um, you know, and, and, and the fuels that are inside of these uh, you know, our, our dwellings and our, our buildings are, uh, they're synthetics now. And we're used to, we, you know, we used to have your regular cotton and, and wood. And now our, our synthetics are, are much more um, uh, combustible and, uh, and just the, the increase 
that they put off in, in heat and particulate um, changes our fire ground situations. So, um, so you know, th those are some reasons why um, it, the, the, the writ needs to be reinvented, so to speak, uh, especially nowadays. Um, Anybody want to add anything to any of those, or? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, Mike, I, I, I know we talked about this in, in training in Ocean City with you, and uh, I, I think it's it's good to know um, to let other people know. Um, one of the parts of your uh, Mayday stats that you went through was there's a there's particular age groups, and particular times of service, um, and particular times where. Uh, we have more Maydays. So not only recognize, and there's also, uh, if you could just talk about that, we'll talk about some other things like, um, you know, effectiveness of Rick Cruz per, and per se, but, but right now, can you just talk a little bit about, um, about what the ages are where the guys and girls are getting in trouble and their time in service. And then I think Trevor and, and Ben, I want you guys, we, what we did before was thought, well, what, why is that? What, why would that be? Um, so, Mike, if you want to talk about those numbers a little bit, and then we can have a little discussion about that. Yeah. So, so we 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 gathered most of our statistics from uh, from numerous. We we cite numerous studies that have been done. Uh, a major study that had been done, and and a lot of guys have probably already seen some of this, uh, was done by a, a retired officer named Don Abbott. He put together some interesting stats that are solely built on facts from numerous maydays that occurred around the country. Uh, but we also went a step farther. Uh, with our writ redevelopment and taking line of duty death reports, taking numerous NIOSH reports from around the country, and um, and then of course applying what we personally uh, uh, noticed in uh, in, in department, an increase in maydays, uh, which automatically is an increase in death. So, uh, because of these, these various things, um, you know, that, that is the reason for the season, so to speak, with our redevelopment. But uh, along the lines of, uh, of looking at all this information, we did find these glaring statistics that you just brought up, Bobby, and some of them, um, as far as our, uh, our tenure, uh, tenure of the individuals that are getting in um, it, it was a little... Uh, I would see that the majority of our guys are getting a prop. They are uh, between the ages of 32 and 40. Uh, and they have a tenure range uh, between six and 15 years in the job. So uh, that tells us something. That, that definitely says something to the fact of, of why this is occurring. And, and you know, uh, we can speculate, of course, that um, it isn't our rookies. They're not. Our rookies are still um, a little withdrawn and, and a, a little cautious of, of what they're going into. And it isn't our um, guys that are, are, are ready to retire yet. Uh, they are also a little reserved and have that old bull mentality, as we call it uh, up in Baltimore, the, the young bull versus the old bull. Uh, so the guys that are getting in trouble are, are uh, younger, so to speak. Um, they have that period of time in the job that, affords them uh, a certain confidence and a certain experience level where they think that they've seen uh, they've seen enough to be able to push a little bit farther. Uh, they have enough time in 
and uh, they are at that uh, at that age where they still have a high confidence level in their physical abilities because they are a little bit younger. Whereas as you get older, you start to realize that these things get taken away from you, those physical attributes. So you have to find a smarter, not harder tactic. Um, whereas these 32 to 40, which, uh, you know, I just just went out of that range. Um, so hopefully that uh, affords me a, a longevity. But, um, you know, it, those guys still uh, believe that they can push their bodies and that uh, hopefully nothing's going to uh, nothing negative is going to befall them. So those are some uh, some glaring statistics for sure. Yeah, Trevor, um, we talked about it kind of a lot when we we're doing training up here with Mike. Um, but, you know, we, we obviously have to speculate why those numbers are there. But I think Mike kind of sums up what our conversations were about uh, the time and experience, the confidence where, where, where the guys were just getting to that point where they felt really comfortable inside of these buildings and, and, uh, and, and were real, willing to take more risks and, and, and trusted their bodies uh, to get deeper in the structure, coupled with what Mike talked about, the uh, turnout gear. So, Trevor, what do you think about that information about those ages and those tenure? What, what's your thoughts about all that? I think what Mike's saying uh, rings true in a lot of ways, and not that every single mayday that we have uh, focuses on that age range or that experience level, but we have to look at the, we have to kind of look at it globally also. Um, it seems to me that you know, we always look for the why behind something. Why is something happening? And when we look at some of the maydays happening on the fire ground, especially in the first few critical minutes when the first or second uh, arriving companies are going to work, it's not typically when we have a team that's established, set up, and we have the people ready to go who are 90% geared up and all they have to do is click in the regulator and go get the down firefighter. Um, some of the things that we look at, I think also is our mindset towards RIT. One of the things that's always kind of been a little bit of a consternation for me is the checkbox command. And yes, it's important to have memory joggers, uh, tactical worksheet, so forth and so on. But we've had that tendency to look over and say, hey, I got to fill this writ assignment. So we'll take uh, you know, the guy over here, the lady from the, uh, the bus stop bench and whoever we, else we can get to fill that writ team so we can check that box off. Not realizing that writ's probably one of the most important uh, jobs on the fire ground we can do. But a lot of times firefighters get in that mindset that writ is going to be that boring assignment, almost like being on a ready five on an aircraft carrier, uh, you know, for your terms, Bobby, is that you might sit there for two hours getting ready to launch. Uh, but when you have to launch, you have to be in the fight within 30 seconds. So a lot of firefighters will literally sit there and wring the handle off of an axe sitting in a, in a writ. And as soon as a chief officer comes by because, or instant commander rather, comes by and they're short on uh, a task management, they'll say, hey, I need somebody to go throw a ladder. And when that firefighter goes to throw a ladder, they have the operational discipline to actually come back to that writ area and sit there and wait again. Typically, it's like, woohoo, I've been called up. You're not going to see that firefighter again uh, in some less disciplined departments. So I think uh, part of it, yes, could be based on an experience level, but it's also that we don't emphasize enough that you know, we're responsible for our own writ. And I don't like to split hairs and you know, every so many years people repackage these things. But um, I really liked some years ago the IRIC co uh, concept, which was the initial rapid intervention crew, which was, okay, RIT's not been established. We don't have that team. And a lot of volunteer-based departments, some of your more active people are usually on that first or second piece arriving. So who's your RIT going to be? Is it, the, is it the next department over that you're waiting 
10, 12, 20 minutes for them to arrive potentially um, just to fill that task or, or uh, check that box on, on the uh, tactical worksheet. So looking at the statistics, I also look at how we switch from operational modes. In the very beginning of the fire incident, that's when we have a lot of problems. But also when we start getting later on in the incident, when we switch from, uh, we've either gone from an interior to a defensive or we've gone from the fire's darkened down, we've got a knock on it, we've called it under control, we've gone to overhaul, we let those defensive, defenses down versus doing a continual size up on the fire ground. And what's so important for that is not only the company level officers, but each and every member of that crew looking for things, looking for changes in the building, thinking about how much water they're applying in there, especially if we've gone to a defensive operation and have a, a more of a collapse potential at that point. So I think there's a, a really a variety of issues that come into play, um, but we just fail to consider them consistently throughout the fire. Because once, once again, that we get that fire darkened down and we get a good report from the inside that maybe the primary and secondaries are negative, or we've taken victims out of the building, at that point, it seems like we really let that guard down and don't pay as much of attention as we should to the potential for changing conditions inside the structure. Cool. Hey, Ben, uh, you're the youngest of the group. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, uh, we, um, you know, we, as we talk about this, I'm obviously not the youngest one of the group. Uh, you know, Nothing what are your thoughts happen. about just this information about the ages and the time in service? I mean, what do you what do you see in Salisbury, uh, Maryland, with with your guys as they get to those ages and tenures? Yeah, I mean, that's, um, you know, Mike said he was he was just on the way out of that age range. Um, I'm I'm just coming into it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate where I'm on kind of the, the backside of the years of experience, uh, but still like I'm. I'm in that age range for another seven years. Um, so, and it's, it's one of those things that you look at that, you're like, Holy cow. Like what, like that's something like looking at these statistics, that's something that you as a firefighter, you as someone in the fire service, like you need to look in the mirror and say, if something, when the shit hits the fan for me, am I ready for that? What, what is my game plan? What am I going to do? You know, am I practicing, you know, calling a mayday when I've got stuff on top of me. I'll never forget um, when I was when I was first hired part time at Ocean City, and we go down and we do our training. And um, I don't even remember who it was, but we throw the the snow fence on top, then the plywood on top, and someone jumps on top of you. And for the first time having that done, like it, it took a second. I was like, holy shit! Like here I am pressed against the floor. Now, now what do I do? You know, and, and obviously, like, it's a training scenario. You have time to think, get your what's about you, um, call your mayday, and you even have somebody that's there talking to you. All right, what's next? What are you going to do now? And and walk you through that situation. But, you know, I, as as a company officer here, we, we I routinely ride um, with people that are newer into the department than, than I am, and you know, we have something like that. You know, if we're the the fourth arriving engine, you know, we, we're lucky we get something out on the street and we get to the, the scene and there's still active fire. There's still something going on. And we're on that Rick company. I look around and I'm like, I don't I don't know that we're the guys that you want to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I feel confident that I have the skills to, to do what, what I need to do, but I'm just one person in that group. Um you know, so that's that's something that's that's scary for me, you know, coming in later in the game. Um, one of my first calls, one of my first fires, we had a two alarm church fire 
a number of years ago in Salisbury over on the, the west side. And we pull up again. I was one of the last people there, um, still a probationary member. And, hey, you're on the writ team. Hey, like, um, I, I don't think that's a good idea, but sure, I'll do it, whatever. Um, and, you know, we were fortunate nothing happened. But, again, it was one of those, like, we, we as the people that are going to be in command of these events, like, maybe we need to think about that a little bit more. Um, and we're fortunate in Salisbury that we're in the process of, kind of adjusting our policies and our, and our tactics and our strategies that we're having additional companies um, on our initial dispatches. So instead of a, a three station response for, for fires, we're getting four um, to get an extra engine. We're calling for an extra ladder truck right off the bat. Um, we're in the process of working and developing a, um, a working fire dispatch. It's, it's going to give us a, two additional engines, an additional truck and another medic unit. Um, just so again, we have those extra resources, uh, we get, and we have something going on and that we don't, we're not, we don't get as far behind the eight ball, um, you know, as, as we have in the past, you know, we've been very fortunate, but you know, that, that luck only lasts so long. So, um, hey ben, ben, let me hop in on something real quick. Um, that you just reminded me of a few things as you were talking and this dovetails in with what, um, Mike was saying. <laughs> We do sometimes have an over-reliance on our gear and technology because we feel we have a thermal imaging camera. We have all this advanced technology, better gear. We can uh, penetrate a little further into that building and maybe push further than what we're really intended to. And some of that does come with, uh, you know, it can be occasionally false confidence because we have that, that one age group. They've got enough fires underneath their belt where they feel they've got some experience, but they've never had their ass handed to them yet. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not advocating going out and having, you know, taking a beating on the fire ground to learn a lesson. But what I am advocating is you know, understand where you are in, in your experience level. And just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it can't happen. And those, like we've always uh, heard those most those five most dangerous words in the fire service, you know, we, we've never done it that way, or we've always done it this way. And, you know, we see that quite a bit. And um, you know, one, of, one of the things I look at here too is writ to in, in my estimation is more of a mindset than it is a function because just like you said you got pulled to go into writ who who is in charge and, I mean, i'm asking rhetorically but i also would like you to answer this and this isn't by any means poking anyone in the eye who is in charge of that writ team yeah i, I can't remember at this point <laughs> well but, but was anybody in charge of the writ team or yeah. was it the, the three or four poor guys who just got pulled to the side and said you're writ Somebody needs to take a leadership role, whether you've got a white front piece or not, and say, okay, hey, we're in charge of this RIP team. Are there any firefighters operating above grade level? If so, we need ladders over here. What kind of ladders? What height ladders? Can we make the throw on this? Is there anything that's going to challenge us? I've seen people sitting in RIP with a pickaxe. Well, that looks great in the uh, newspaper picture, but you've got a block building, and you, you have you have the right tools to be able to breach and get to that down firefighter. Who's, who's in charge of the plan? Are you sitting there just kind of lollygagging or do you have your, your writ plan together and do you have your plan A, plan B, plan C in case something does go down? Um, the last one that collectively me, you and Bobby were involved in, the, the writ team had to be redeployed to a, the other side of a large building. And so that's not exactly a timely response, even though they were already established. But, you know, it was something that we didn't have that immediate resource and the people who were closest to that situation had to react. So it wasn't the designated team, even though that was already checked off on the uh, instant command check sheet. So yeah, I do want to really look at that mindset of RIT 
And again, going back to that IRIC concept or whatever you want to call it, is that what are we going to do to save our own as part of that crew on that first arriving engine company, first arriving truck company, or like a lot of departments are doing um, to be able to get enough suppression individuals. You might have two people off of a paramedic unit who now have been married up with an engine company to, to be able to go in. And you know, we're, we're really kind of piecemealing some of these things, sometimes out of necessity, but other times just because you know we have to do things on the fire ground to get the job done. So you, you don't know where you may be riding one day that you might be in that position to have to go into action either to save or extricate yourself or the person next to you. Um, as a side note to that, you know, I look at the preparation of the individual firefighter to be able to do this and not say, oh, that's, that's the second do trucks job or that's the uh, third do engines job is to be writ. That's great for SOP driven tasks, but we also have to be mission driven with things and say, okay, what's the mission here? Uh, and not just rely on say what, what the SOP specifically says because the trucks don't always arrive in the same order that they're supposed to. We know this, we've been around the block. So one of the big things that I've always advocated um, in some of the SCBA work that we've done going into doing some of the RIP is that firefighters familiarity with their own equipment. How well they know that SCBA, how well can they function in it? One of the things that I uh, require my firefighters to do, and I've mentioned this before, is when they're checking the apparatus in the morning, I make them do it with fire gloves on. Not everything in there, but at your SCBA, they need to check it. So that when they're going through the parts and pieces, they have the dexterity with their gloves to be able to manipulate each and every part of it. Um, I've got the same things around the fire station. We do the nuts and bolts drill where, you know, literally fire gloves, we're putting nuts and bolts together, we're screwing things together, not even looking at them to build that dexterity because once something goes wrong inside that structure, whether it's with your air pack or like you said, Ben, you get uh, pinned, you get trapped, something goes wrong and you're, you've been put in a position that you're not used to and that you didn't choose, how are you still able to function? Um, and so that's why, you know, to me, the glove dexterity is the biggest thing uh, as a start for individual skill set and confidence building, because once something goes wrong and you decide that you're going to get frustrated and take your gloves off, well, now you've got not only an issue with your air pack or a partial entrapment, what have you, now you've got burning hands. You, so you're having a cascading effect of problems. Um, one of the other things that, um, you know, I brought my visual aids with me here. One of the other things that a lot of people say is about, you know, carrying radio straps. We all, almost everybody wears radio straps in the fire service. And, you know, some people say, okay, do I wear it inside the gear, outside the gear, whatever the case is. That's an individual choice in a lot of departments. I know I have my personal preference is to wear it inside the gear. But can I manipulate that knob on my radio and know by turning all the way right or all the way left, I'm going back to my dispatch channel that someone can hear me if I issue a mayday and no one responds. But the other thing, and this is just maybe I have spare time on my hands, and Mike, I'm going to get you uh, to elaborate on the story of the old bull and the young bull later on, for those who've never heard it. <laughs> um, but one of the things is being able to find your gear. For those who um, have been in a scuba diving world, you remember the golden triangle, anything essentially between your neck, your nipple line, and straight across. If you didn't have your secondary air or cutting source to disentangle yourself or to spare air, you're kind of screwed in case something got entangled. You couldn't reach it. We do the same thing with the, the stuff in, in our gear. Guys are carrying everything, uh, side cutters, EMS shears, everything but the kitchen sink. Can they get to them? Can they deploy their webbing? Or is it in a daisy chain? I can't pull a daisy chain out on the right end to save myself. So do we have things that we can you know, ambidextrously get on both sides? One of the reasons I like to carry my mic over, over the shoulder that I do is it doesn't matter right or left, but is where my, the key on my microphone is. I've practiced to the point that if even if both of my arms 
are incapacitated for some reason, or I have, might be pinned, I can take the corner of my mask and key against my collarbone with my gear on, I can key that microphone without using my hands. Uh, yeah, I can be on David Letterman on Stupid Human Tricks next week, but I only think that show is still on to show my age. But anyway, point being is that looking at different ways that if you get in trouble, do you have that that secondary resource? Do you have that continuum of survival? Or are you, are you just that one trick pony that, you know, okay, my first thing that I learned in Rick class didn't work. So now what do I do? So I think it's important going back to Mike's point and your point, Ben, is to make sure that we, you know, when we can't force experience on people, we can do things to enhance our own personal experience and make ourselves better as an individual rescuer uh, firefighter for ourselves, which translates over to the other people in our crew. That's good stuff there, Trevor. Yeah, um, yeah, and I want to promise our viewers that we're going to get to some solutions to all of this um, when we talk about the stats because they are very concerning. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of stats that Mike came up with. So he got all these from about a thousand successful maydays, and then they also looked at some of the NIOSH reports and things like that. So it's probably the most in-depth study we have um, that I've heard of, anyways, uh, for this. And, and one Mike had a category called size up. And uh, 73% of the Maydays did not do a 360. Um, you know, 40% of the 360s that were performed uh, confirmed that a smoker fire in a different or additional location than what they were aware of looking at side A or whatever side they arrived on. 40% uh, of the Maydays occurred during salvage and overhaul, and there was not a continuous size up being done. So I don't think those numbers are super surprising to us. Um, we know that, you know, 360 is kind of what we call cheating the fire ground, trying to figure out where things are. Uh, I don't think that's it. Uh, but what I want Mike to talk about a little bit, and then we can discuss that a little bit, and then we need to talk about what we need to th change about our thinking about what what our, pre our preparation for RIT should be with the crews available, uh, because we know that uh, uh, our staffing is not what we would want it to be. Uh, and many fire departments across the country, probably, I would say the majority of the fire departments across the country simply don't have the manpower to have formal writ when the May Day occurs. So the question is, what are we going to do when we don't have a formal writ? Because I think that was, um, I don't remember that number. Where was that at, Mike? Um, yeah, it was 64%. Yeah, 64% of these things happened. There was no writ. So there was no writ in place. Uh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, so let's I want to talk about that. Like when they occur, like time of the incident, Mike, a little bit uh, when these things are actually most of the time occurring. And then just to, if we could discuss a little bit about the, the, you know, what what we can do to change our fire ground operations to kind of improve that, if you would. Mike, answers to that are uh, uh, can be found in a lot of whatever was alluding to um, and to piggyback on on that and, and add to it is, uh, you know, our, our, our readiness overall is insufficient. And thus, so is our resolve when it comes to these situations. Um, we, we know that uh, a large majority of these and an exact number, uh, I think, is already on the ticker going across. Um, but well over 50 percent uh, is our first two companies that are that are having the, the Mayday emergencies. And you know, we have to take that information and we have to actually do something with it, not just write it down and accept that this is, you know, th this is who 
the target population is going to be. Um, so, you know, th th that is something that that needs to be improved upon. And that's what we kind of go in and do. Um, and we know that are these companies, these first arriving companies are uh, are getting themselves started and they're getting into the buildings. And within seven to nine minutes, as going across the ticker now, you have a mayday. And it's the sad part of all this is, is that and you can derive some of this from the stats that are going across the, the ticker. But you can also look into the NIOSH reports and our line of duty death reports that we've done research in. And sadly enough, it's a breakdown in fundamentals. And um, and that's that's the worst part of it is because many of these are very preventable. Uh, we just have to stress an improvement in our fundamentals. Uh, unfortunately, what happens is, uh, as Trevor was alluding to, is the fact that the training overall in RIT preparation is completely inefficient. Um, you know, we are doing very much the check the box and saying upon arrival, uh, a RIT is in place. And I know that we do that, uh, you know, where I work. Uh, the, 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 our main thing is to say, as we're responding to the dwelling fire or to the to the box, um, I, you know, so whatever the engine is that is writ, uh, you know, our incident commander will come over the radio and say, uh, you know, and this is a hypothetical, of course, but, you know, engine four, acknowledge that you're the writ. And then that engine will acknowledge and that box is now checked. And that's where it stops. Um, and unfortunately, what happens is that company will arrive, they will take tools off of another apparatus, and then stand in the front of the building. And much like Trevor alluded to, uh, there's nothing glorious or exciting about that. That is, uh, that's not something that any company wants to be doing. And in that lies even more of a problem when they get activated. But uh, leading up to that activation, getting back to the fact that, um, you know, we know it's going to be the early companies that get themselves, you know, get their asses in a sling. You know, we have to look at that and we have to address it. Um, and, of course, that needs to change in our training. Uh, you know, I know that when we go out and do our, our RIT training and our Mayday training, we do probably the same drills that you guys do. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll do the Nance drill, the Denver drill. Um, we'll do entanglement and wall breaching. We'll go through a maze. Um, these are all very good drills, and I'm not discounting them at all. They're very good at team building, and they're very good at confidence building. Um, I've never crawled through a maze in a dwelling fire, but uh, I can see that the confidence building aspect of it is important. But we could also tailor a lot of these trainings to be um, steeped in realism. And much like you saw with Trevor's props, the gloves. You can go online at any moment and look up RIT training. And I promise you, you're going to find a bunch of guys doing something in bright daylight and full PPE with complete clarity. Some guys are going to be wearing rescue gloves. There's going to be ropes everywhere and chainsaws and all these things. Uh, and I can tell you that that is not anywhere close to the target 
of what really occurs. And I say that with confidence because I've been involved in numerous maydays. Uh, and that is not what happens. Uh, so if we're training like that, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. And we're doing these guys between those ages of 32 and 40, the ones that are going in to try to mitigate the problem, we're doing them an injustice because they are the backbone of our fire departments. They are the guys that are willing to put their asses on the line. So more than the pipes and drums and the ride on the back of an engine when one of these guys fall, we should be doing things to prevent them from falling. Uh, and that comes to the training. And, and then it also comes to the redevelopment of our writ as it stands. So, uh, you know, it's it, the we, we Ben's put across the ticker some of the uh, the pillars of um, of writ of, of rebuilding of writ. And it starts with this. And this is and I'm sure we're all in agreement. Um, firefighting is an environmental emergency. And I say that because uh, not just because of what's going on around us, but it's based upon our jurisdiction. What we do in Baltimore City is not what Ocean City does. It's not what Phoenix, Arizona does. And I'm sure it's not what Palm Beach does. Uh, it is tailored to our jurisdiction. Um, and along the lines of that are, of course, those six pillars building construction, types of occupancies, manpower complements, the tools and equipment that we're using, the types of apparatus we're using. And then of course, most importantly, our tactics, which are usually defined by, you know, our department's SOGs or SOPs, uh, you know, whatever you're using. Um, all of the things that we do in this job have a should, have some type of stipulation or rule attached to them, be it an SOG or SOP. Uh, I, uh, an example would be our running assignments. Um, in Baltimore, we put five engines and two trucks on when a box is struck. Now, that is tailored to Baltimore City, much like every other jurisdiction has a tailored running assignment. Sadly enough, what doesn't seem to be tailored or customized is writ. That is just a check in the box, as Trevor referred to it. It is an engine or a truck that is assigned that label. Uh, henceforth, a group of guys that don't want to be standing around. Some of them might want to actually be involved. And because of it, um, you know, it, we are, we're, we're not getting the best possible outcome that we could, that, you know, that we could have. So um, much like all these other things that we're doing on our apartments, RIT has to be customized. It has to be tailored specifically to our departments uh, based upon, of course, the, you know, uh, and, and, you know, we could discuss that a little bit farther, but those six pillars are, of course, um, they, they, they're broad in a sense, but you can really kind of file almost anything in a department underneath one of those six pillars. And that's kind of what our our reinvention, as as I'm as we call it up in Baltimore, the reinvention of the writ is going to be based upon is is those six pillars. So, uh, and, and you know, uh, we can get into some examples of it, and uh, I do have some examples of it. 
based upon the stats that we've collected and of course our, our NIOSH reports and line of duty deaths. Um, but uh, you know, when we, when we talk about customizing these things for our departments, um, it, it, it has to be customized to, customized to suit that department specifically. We're not worried about what other departments are doing. We, we want to take their good points and add on to them. But we can't. And we, I think we find ourselves in this job getting caught in that uh, that mindset of, well, this major department does it. So so should we. Uh, and I know I hear that a lot with uh, up there in Baltimore. What we'll hear, well, Detroit does this, and they're similar in size, or FDNY does this. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that we are completely different. Our tactics are different. Our manpower is different. We, you know, we ride four men to an apparatus. Um, in in New York, they have six on certain apparatus. So, just by the nature of the beast, everything changes. Uh, it can't be the same. It has to be, the data needs to be collected and the good points have to be taken away and the bad points have to be tossed in the trash. Um, and, you know, we have to upgrade it. Um, but, you know, when we're tailoring it to our specific areas, it has to also be based upon incidents that occur in your area. It, it, it can't just be a broad thing that's nationwide. It has to be things that are happening locally to you because that's where we're customizing our writ force. Um, you know, if your dwellings are certain dwellings, then your writ needs to be applicable to that. It can't just be something that FDNY does. Um, your equipment, your tools that, that we're using for uh, these May Day situations and that we are handing to our guys that are writ, they need to be something that is universal in your department. It can't just be, well, I saw this on the internet, so we're going to try it. We're going to let our writ guys have it, and that's it. Um, and and we have to realize that, uh, again, coming back to the facts, is that writ many, many times are not even involved in, uh, in clearing these May Day events. So, um, you know, and, and that comes to the next step, which is how do we reinvent this to make it work on our firegrounds? And, um, and, you know, I can give you the example of, of what we do up there. But before I do that, well, uh, let's, let's round robin it and see what, you know, what we can add to, you know, what we've already been talking about. Well, thanks, Mike. I mean, I, I'll cover real quick. Uh, you know, we, we're used to three-person staffing uh, pretty much wherever I've been in my, in my whole fire service time. And so, uh, you know, when you talk about four and five people, there's different things that happen. Uh, we're aware of what a layout person is. We just haven't had it for decades. Um, you know, we still know what it means and what it is, but we don't have that. And I think that's, you know, part of the thing is we try to emulate what other fire departments do. And the problem is, is you, you can't, we can't do that. There's a lot of things that happen with lighter staffed fire departments. We do things more linear. Whereas like say Baltimore does has two or three things going on at the same time. Uh, we have to do things kind of more linear. And, and, and part of that, really dovetails into uh, what we think about RIT and where we need to be with RIT. And that is uh, pretty much those first two or three crews there uh, are the ones, the first two crews are most likely the ones to get in trouble. They're most likely to get in trouble in that first six to eight minutes. Um, and, you know, those other crews there are the ones that are going to have to do the RIT, whether they were assigned it by a chief or not. So I would like you to, I know we talked about this before, but I'd really like you to cover 
uh, unit replacement specifics as far as command goes, because I don't want to leave command out of this either. And I want Trevor to talk about this a little bit too, as a chief officer. Um, you know, when when a, a company goes down in a mayday, um, what happens to what they were assigned to do? We we just talked about a recent line of duty death. I know Mike and I were talking, um, and and they had a very critical job. They had they thought they had people trapped, but there were jobs that happened for their first two truck company. The first two truck company was in fact the mayday, and so I I really want Trevor and and Mike to talk a little about. How do we fill that need? Because a lot of times departments had a standard, well, we'll just sound another alarm for a mayday, but it doesn't really fill in the fire ground needs. So now we have things that aren't happening. And I know Mike talks more eloquently about it than I do, um, but I want to bounce up to Trevor first. And from a command officer perspective, from a from a fire chief's perspective, you know, what are your thoughts about what we talked about so far? Well, thanks, Bobby. Um my first and foremost thought is you have to go to battle with the with the crew that you have, not the crew that you want. And so all that being said, a lot of times our tactics as a command officer may be uh, dependent upon literally who is on shift that day. And I don't mean that to be anything negative, but we all know we have our firefighters who are eat up with the job. They learn everything they possibly can. And they're our, they're our first strength. We also have the ones that are the loafs, the uh, League of Average Firefighters, if I could you know, borrow a term from our uh, friends out in Midwest, that they come to work at uh, two minutes till seven. They you know do a cursory check of the apparatus, and they hope you don't have to go to work that day. And they're the first one out the door before the uh, shift exchange. So really, it's developing a mindset. And almost like anything else, if, if you look at the basics, and I'll, you know, Bobby, I'll appeal to you, you know, back with your military experience, um, you know, if you look at some of the different divisions of our military, everyone has a basic core responsibility. And yes, there's people who are in engineering and people who are in infantry and people who are into mechanized units and construction, but each one of them knows the basic function of being a soldier, a Marine, a sailor, an airman. They know those basic functions. And that's why I look at it from a command perspective is that really each and every firefighter should be RIT capable. Um, does that mean they're going to be uh, assigned to RIT each and every time? No, but based on like statistics, we have to look and say, okay, when is this going to most likely occur? It's great to have that A team of the saltiest dogs in the world and, and on a RIT team, but how often are you going to be able to assemble them in the right place at the right time uh, before everything goes down and make sure that they're in close enough proximity to make a difference? So yeah, this is what I want to kind of uh, you know have Mike talk about also when it comes back to him is in our conversation before we went live, uh, he, he was saying how fortunate he was that from you know, his command level that they saw the wisdom in the trenches and said, what do you guys need to do to make this effective versus sending an e pushing an edict down and saying, yeah, this will work. This sounds great in theory. You guys are the boots on the ground. You're the ones who are going to have to make this work. We've seen statistically where it's going to take between 12 and 18 firefighters to pull one down firefighter out of a structure. You know, how are we going to make this work? And, and it goes back to some of the training that you did, Bobby, like with the deuce and a half. We knew we had short crews and yeah, the more the merrier, but how could we do it when we had four people or when we had three people or then we were, or if we were running under staff because somebody went home sick, we have to do it with two people. We can't just throw our hands up in the air and say time out. We don't get mulligans. We don't get time out. So from, from that perspective, like I said, I, I want to uh, establish from the command perspective, get out of the checkbox mentality that you have to strictly check a box on an instant command worksheet. Yes, that's helpful. That helps you keep organized. It helps you make sure that you hit all those major bullet points and nothing falls through the cracks. But it's not as simple 
as checking that box, like Mike says, and then not continuing to do a complete evaluation throughout the rest of that call, because that that uh, that collapse could happen, that firefighter going down or through a floor could occur at any given time during that fire. Um, and I believe it wasn't uh, too too long ago. It, it may have been it may have been your city, Mike, and forgive me if it wasn't, but um, there was a, a investigator uh, after units had cleared who had actually uh, was, I, I believe it was Baltimore uh, some years ago. So even after we've left the fire ground, we've turned it over to our brothers and sisters in the uh, fire marshal's office, there's a potential there. Do, do we have anyone looking out for them? When they're going through a building that's now it's unstable due to fire conditions, we've thrown a ton of water in it, we've cut holes in it, and now we're leaving them in an unstable building. So we really have to look at it from a, not only a pre-planning perspective, but all the way through until the very last unit with a flashing light leaves that building and they put tape around it. So I think from um, an, an instant command perspective, we really have to look at this more holistically and develop a writ that's gonna serve the needs of each and every uh, segment of that fire ground operation from again, pre-arrival to uh, you know, post-incident investigation. Yeah, Mike, Mike you wanna talk a little bit about uh, yeah, uh, complete. Can you just talk a little bit about what we yeah, talk about uh, building? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Trevor, that uh, that incident was in Baltimore City. That um, I was actually on that fire that night, and um, sent back uh, around eight o'clock that morning, uh, along with the engine company out of my firehouse, uh, and. Uh, my um, our crew and the engine crew are the ones that ended up finding him. He was a safety officer. He was a lieutenant, um, and uh, that's an example of uh, of a problem with continuous uh, assessing and continuous accountability. Um, and that's a that's a good example of an, a very unfortunate situation that um, you know uh, we probably could have found ways to to you know to rectify that prior to to it happening of course uh but getting back to you know to, to try to try to implement some type of field application to to make this writ make more sense um goes back to to one glaring statistic uh and that is that 90 percent of maydays are resolved by the crews operating in the interior so in the in, in the idea of redeveloping our writ we have to we have to be gamblers in the sense of we need to play the odds and the odds are the most important thing. And, and what are the odds? Well, I think we already know them based upon the facts that, that the data that's been collected by uh, numerous people, by NIOSH reports, by line of duty death reports, uh, the facts are out there. Uh, so now we need to apply them in order to, to make this effective. So, um, you know, what, what we're doing is we're, we're going to go ahead and use the momentum uh, much like a sailor, you know, when the wind is in your sails, you you, you go. Uh, and and what I mean by that is we're going to use the guys that are already inside to farther uh, whatever emergency uh, occurs and, and to mitigate it. Uh, so the push that's occurring uh, up in up in my department uh, and the group of us that is trying to to get it to actually come to fruition. The idea is uh, taken from a couple other departments, and then what we've done is we've tweaked it, customized it to try to make it uh, effective for ours. So the example is this. 
uh, on when, when a box is struck, uh, we get two trucks and five engines. Now, each of those companies has a specific ex- assignment. Uh, one of the engines is RIT. Uh, now, upon their arrival, they will report to the front of the building. And subsequently, they will grab equipment off of the very first truck company that arrived, assuming that that truck company is in the front of the building. So already we're kicking this game off and we have four engine guys that are grabbing truck equipment. And so we're already putting some of them uh, who have been in an engine uh, on an engine their whole life. We're putting them behind the eight ball. And we're also putting those interior crews that are operating inside at a, at a disadvantage for when that mayday does occur because the people coming to save them now aren't really sure what they're even holding in their hands. And that's a problem. So uh, one of our ideas is to replace that fifth engine or that RIT engine with a truck. So we would drop to four engines on a box assignment and three truck companies. And that third truck company would be our RIT team. And they would, their job is a little bit more uh, in tune to, uh, to what we would normally want to see on a fire ground from our RIT crews. Not just standing out front with equipment, but helping uh, as, as, you know, we've heard this verbiage, verbiage before, is to help soften the target. So when we have a working fire, we're making sure that those ladders were put in place by our first arriving truck company. We're making sure that those basement windows have been taken out. We're making sure that the storm door and that the, the actual uh, the hard solid front door has been removed in the event that we need to gain entry quickly. If there's bars on the window or any type of security devices uh, that are in our way on the windows or anything like that, we are removing them so that we have access or a, a very quick point of egress from these buildings. Uh, so this new writ idea is to make sure that these guys are not only doing something, but are, uh, are, are doing something that is, that is worthwhile for when that emergency does occur. Now, they are still a rapid intervention team. And if you take that, those words, their job is to rapidly intervene. Uh, that does not necessarily mean that they need to go charging in the front door in the event of a mayday. Their job is to intervene. And so going back to how we're going to mitigate these problems is uh, it, this is an idea that came from the north up uh, in FDNY. And what we're trying to do is tweak it so that it fits ours. Uh, they have what they call a fast truck. And that fast truck stands for um, the uh, the firefighter aid and save team. Uh, But that is a truck company. So the push that we're we're trying to get through is that elements of our our first arriving truck companies um, that are already interior in the building upon a May Day occurrence, those picked elements become the fast truck. So we're using momentum 
that we already have in our sales. And I say that because being a part of a few Maydays, I have seen and done uh, the exact thing that we're discussing is when a Mayday occurs inside a building, there is a mad rush to try to help because we care about each other and we're trying to make sure that we mitigate that uh, that emergency. So we're going to use the guys that are interior, certain elements of them. It's not every position on both of those trucks, um, you know, and, and we, we get very definitive with who goes and, and what the, uh, what the duty is of those seated positions, but elements of those both of both of those two first arriving truck companies make up our fast truck. So the incident commander upon a May day will then initiate uh, a fast truck deployment. So members of those two truck companies, which they already know their duties, um, that that incident commander will say, fast truck, uh, report to the location of the Mayday. Now, at that time, we also have our RIT team in place. Remember, they are a rapid intervention team. They are to intervene. So the incident commander has set them up accordingly. You know, we have a lot of row homes. So we might have had to split those two teams and sent two guys around the back and left two in the front, depending on if it's a middle of the group row home. But that incident commander now has four able people that are truck company operators that can intervene in any way they see fit. It might be to continue search operations or any suppression operations that have occurred, but they are able to intervene. Uh, they can backfill those fast truck members that have already responded to that mayday, or they can be assigned in addition to the fast truck and put right at the mayday as well. So we're giving our incident commanders more of a flexible option and using the momentum of the situation to our advantage. And again, I have to stress that, um, you know, this is tailored to what we do. Uh, so, and it isn't every member of these truck companies that just automatically starts freelancing. That's not what occurs. They have specific duties, specific areas that they were that they would be assigned to, and then thus report once the fast truck is activated. So that's just a um, that's just a, a, a in a nutshell an idea that we're that we are trying to push in order to customize this to, to save the guys that are uh, that are making that push or that are, uh, you know, are, are going, you know, into these dwellings to, to try to resolve these uh, emergencies. That's awesome. That's good stuff. And, and um, you know, the start of that reinvention, you, you've already gone from your four people to, from that engine company. And, you know, with just a, I, I say a small change, I'm sure there was a, the, the legwork and the research and the work to, that went into to implementing that and getting that going was um, very time consuming and, and was, was took a lot of work, but you, you've already doubled the, the number of people that you have responding to your writ or your Mayday scenario. You know, like, like we mentioned earlier, it's at the average of 12 uh, members for one down member. Uh, and you're, you've got, um, you know, the people in the building already, plus the people coming in to, to get there. So you, you're, um, you know, already doubling that that response, which is which is fantastic. That's great, and that's our hope. And that, and I have to stress that that is our that is our hope as to what we are trying to accomplish. We're not there yet. Um, 
uh, but that is, this is what uh, the idea is being pushed. Uh, so I, I, I would hope within the next year that you would that we will see some form of this take place. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, hey guys, we're we're at an hour now, um, and I, I feel like this could we could probably go on for another couple of hours because um, again, this is this is all great stuff, um, and the the just kind of barely touched. Uh, and commented on the reinvention of the writ and, um, you know, a lot of the information going into that. Um, so maybe this is one of those things that we'll do a part one tonight and part two uh, in the coming weeks, uh, which would be, I, I, at least I think, you guys tell me, um, I think that would be awesome to see. Uh, but let's kick it around the around the room again here and we'll kind of wrap up with our closing thoughts. So Trevor, you want to you wanna go next? Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Ben. And uh, Mike, just want to thank you for not only being on tonight, but also for the uh, efforts and the research you're doing to you know, help us get a better concept of RIT and make it make better for our brothers and sisters. Uh, you touched on a little bit before that operational discipline is so important. Um, can we always maintain it? No, because we're like you said, we're there to take care of the lives of our brothers and sisters and the lives of the people in that building. And it's tough, but you know, we've got to maintain that hose line between the down member members and where that fire is. You know, so we can't have everyone just abandoned to go help their brothers and sisters. And that operational focus is so important. And I kind of compare um, the overall summary of how we look at RIT. Like I said before, in my mind, it's just as much of a concept as it is an operation or a mindset. And we I'll look at it almost like we do vehicle stabilization during auto extrication. We stabilize the vehicle, but as we start to change parts and pieces and move things around and bend this and push that and uh, you know, we have to constantly restabilize that vehicle or we're going to have a problem. And that's why I look at the fire ground is we're, we, you know, with, by having that mindset, we're constantly trying to restabilize the fire ground for our members that are on the inside. So, um, yeah, Ben, I agree. You know, we can discuss this uh, probably in some more segments. And as uh, Mike's research yields some more, uh, some more data and as uh, you know, he gets some more definitive things down as far as how they're implementing this, and we can digest that and uh, figure out how to make that applicable to different sized departments. I think that'll be great. But uh, you know, I want to thank you all for being here tonight. Um, not only all our panelists, but anybody who's tuning in now or looking later. Uh, we enjoy doing this, and uh, we can't do it without you guys tuning in. So thanks for uh, supporting the training and joining us for uh, Thirsty Thursday. Mike, you want to go next? Yeah. Uh, for, first, I'll, I want to say thank you to the three of you. Uh, it's, it's been it's been a real pleasure to be here, and uh, I want to thank the viewers too. And um, and I agree. I, I think that this is something that we could definitely come back to. There's a lot more information. Uh, we, we just uh, how much time do we have? But uh, you know, we, we, we there is a lot more more information uh, that we built upon this. This is kind of a snapshot into it. Um, and we could go on for another couple hours about it. But uh, one of the things I think that would be very beneficial is um, a as a second part would be to discuss uh, the different ideas and how to uh, improve uh, our RIT training and our Mayday training. And, uh, and we've also combed over a bunch of that uh, up in Baltimore to try to see how uh, we can just improve, you know, each of these companies uh, and, and all of our crews to be better prepared for when this does occur, um, along with the reinventing of the writ. So um, so there's definitely much more to discuss on it. But thank you guys again. Uh, and it's been incredible being here. I really appreciate it. 
Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Bobby? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mike, for coming out and talking with us, brother. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, me, personally, I've been involved in only three uh, uh, three Maydays. Um, once I was not involved in it at all. Uh, once I was the Mayday, and once I was a crew leader for the crew mitigating the Mayday. Um, and, and although all three of those ended up well, um, as well as could be expected, um, you know, what I learned from those was how little I knew. Um, I, I know exactly how um, confused I was. Uh, I knew exactly, you know, I, I, you know, it's funny, you, you realize your shortcomings in the most horrible moments in your life, you know, and I realized a lot of my shortcomings. So though they were successful, um, uh, all of them were. Uh, they taught me that there's there's so much for me to know. And the last thing I want to say is, we, I say it every single time we do this, um, you know, Mike talked about it earlier. Trevor talked about it with his gloves. Um, you know, what can you do right now? Uh, what you can do right now is practice, practice the basics. Um, you know, don't have a mayday occur because your lines tangle because you're not practicing pulling your lines. Uh, don't have a mayday uh, because you're not comfortable doing search and rescue and zero visibility without maintaining your orientation, uh, you know, work on those basics. Those basics will see you home most of the time. And then we'll just layer and add some other really nice rich stuff on. And the last thing, my last closing thought is one thing is after I went through those, some of those experiences, I started training in RIT and I found that to be completely honest with you, RIT was way overcomplicated. Uh, the training that we were doing was way overcomplicated. It was very specific to specific line of duty deaths and things like that. But there are lots of things being thrown at you at the same time. Uh, I've learned as I'm getting older that have a way to mitigate something and find your best way and have it as your way instead of having 13 different ways. Because in that situation, you're just not going to be able to pull from a, a file drawer of 13 different ways to do something. So, you know, do your basics, practice your basics. And as you add on to your basics, don't add a whole bunch of stuff to it. Add the most important stuff to it. And like Mike says, play the odds in your favor. And uh, thanks again, Mike, for coming. Yep. So um, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So cheers, cheers everyone. So thank you, cheers, again. Uh, guys. It was awesome. Always a good night, uh, good time talking. Um, I know I always take a lot away from these uh, as, as the youngest of the group, um, and it, it's it's always good. I I always go back after this and. I'll take down a bunch of notes. You guys see me looking off to the side, taking notes of stuff. Um, so I, I truly appreciate this, just being involved. And it's always great to learn from uh, folks that had the experience in the years of service. Um, so thank you guys, one, for me. Uh, and thank you guys for what, we're, what you guys are doing for uh, for what we're doing here with this. Um, for everybody out there watching, thanks, you guys, for joining us. Uh, we're going to try and do this uh, every other week uh, with our Thirsty Thursdays, depending on uh, what we've got going on and, you know, uh, um, guests and topics that we have coming up. Uh, keep an eye out on our Facebook page, our uh, YouTube play page and Twitter. Uh, they're all scrolling across the bottom now. And as always, if you guys have any questions, you're curious about uh, doing some training with us, uh, strike the box. Um, is there, There's our email coming across now. So please reach out and let us know. Um, Again, we, we love to come out and help with that kind of stuff. So um, reach out, let us know. We'd uh, love to come work with you guys. So thank you again, everybody, for joining, and we'll see you next time. Have a good night and stay safe. See you, fellas.